0: a podcast about politics and culture with Simon Copland and Benjamin Riley. Um do you, I feel like there are so this is me kind of speaking off mic. Yeah, that's Um fine. but I feel like we have not really answered no. any of these it's- questions. <laughs> like I think the discussion we've had is like super interesting and I'm yeah. like super happy with it. But like do we What do we do?
1: 5th of June, 2018. I'm Simon Copland. And I'm Benjamin Riley. Welcome to Queers. Each episode we talk our way through questions on a theme, and this week we're talking about gay men and privilege. Um, but before we start, Ben, how are you this week?
0: I am very well. Uh, I am quite excited because I've just booked a trip to the US. Oh, that's um, exciting. I'm going to, to California, going to San Francisco for the first time. Gay. You know, that... Well, yeah, you know, it's just going to be me, I don't know, doing really gay stuff. Actually, I will be doing some definitively gay things. I'm going for the weekend of the Folsom Street Fair. Oh, that's pretty Um, gay. Yep. Have you ever been before? I haven't, no. No. Uh, So I'm quite looking forward to that. I may have to purchase some sort of harness or something. I don't really own any leather accoutrement, so...
1: A Harness is a nice entry point, I think. Yeah,
0: I don't know. I, honestly, I find it all a little bit silly, but but I'm I i, I I'm happy to do it for the occasion, you know?
1: Yeah, that's fair. Like, uh, you know, it, it'll be an interesting experience more than anything else. And I'm, I'm sure. Do it, once, do it once, enjoy it, and then have done it.
0: Uh, when I was working at the Star Observer, I interviewed... Uh, whenever I try to tell the story, I always forget the name of the band. I think they were called The Presets? Is
1: that a yep. thing? The presets are definitely a thing.
0: Are they like a like an electronic duo? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Cool.
1: Uh, I'm pretty sure. i not. Sure. Uh, yeah. I think they're a duo. I, but the presets are like a, a popular Australian band that do electronic music. Okay.
0: <laughs> Great. It's like you you a young person explaining to me an old person <laughs> uh, what popular music is. Um, so I was interviewing one of them years ago, and because they're not queer, but they have a big queer following is mm. is my understanding of it. And they played at Folsom Street Fair one year, which is a, a big, for people who aren't aware, a big uh, kind of open-air uh, leather and fetish street fair that happens in San Francisco every year. Uh, and he said that the strangest thing about playing the festival wasn't that there was all this, like, fetish stuff happening, on every- happen- happening everywhere. It was the suburban American men who would like come in to San Francisco from, you know, like the suburbs of, of the city, yeah. uh, wearing just like the most stereotypical uh suburban middle class American clothing, you know, like pastel coloured polo shirts, um, and like khaki shorts and like dorky sneakers and all of that, and have their phones in one hand out recording everything that ha- was happening, and their dicks in the other hand just like Uh, slowly masturbating while they walked around and the kind of juxtaposition of this like dorky middle america vision with like uh, discomforting voyeurism and public masturbation he said was the easily the strangest thing about being there Um, how about you what's happening
1: uh, I'm alright. I have I've been a bit sick, um, so I'm now like just catching up on on work and life and all those kinds of things because you know you you lose a few days and you suddenly have be behind on everything. Um, totally
0: terrifying numbers of emails in your inbox, etc. Yes.
1: Yeah, those sorts of things. Uh, it probably hit me at a good time because I've I've um, I've got to start marking again uh, from Thursday, so it would it's better to not have been sick whilst in the middle of doing marking because. You know, if you if when you're when you're marking, you have to be marking. You just I just have to get it done. Uh, and so I can't, It's you know, it's much more stressful if you're trying to take a day off while you know that sort of like oh, I've got it now I lose an entire day of marking out to do it during the Ugh. night or something like that. God, academia um, just sounds so awful. <laughs> it's really not. I really, really quite love it. But uh, the marking is the is probably the hardest part.
0: Pride season has kicked off again in the Northern Hemisphere, and once again it has sparked debates about who belongs in the queer community and who doesn't. This year, maybe more than ever, there seems to be a growing backlash against the privileged role that gay men play in queer spaces.
1: For example, in different parts of the internet, we have seen claims that cis gay men cannot ever be considered to be queer or that unlike others, cis gay men have never done anything of value to advance queer concerns or politics. These arguments have linked in with concerns that cis gay men are increasingly entering into a privileged place in Western society, and in turn within the queer community, and in doing so are leaving their other queer siblings behind.
0: So today we want to think about gay men, the queer community, and privilege. Have gay men actually entered a privileged position in our society? Are we leaving the rest of our queer siblings behind? Does this mean we no longer deserve a seat at the queer table? If so, what should we, as gay men,
1: do about it? So, Ben, let's get started. We are two cis gay men, and we have a podcast titled Queers. Do we actually have the right to call ourselves queer?
0: Uh, well, look, I mean, I think, first of all, I don't think of the title of the podcast necessarily referring to us. Um, you know, it's... it's, uh, I think a, a much broader title than that, uh, de- defining or conceptualizing different ideas that we think about different, maybe different kinds of people, maybe that we have some intersection with, I don't know. So, so I guess, um, you know, I'd, I'd put that out there first. Um, the question of who gets to call themselves queer
1: maybe maybe it's it's a funny way to start the question about whether we can call ourselves queer because it's it's not you know they the the saying you can't you know gay men can't ever be queer is not really saying no, not just saying something about about sort of labeling ourselves or the capacity to label ourselves as queer, but it's saying something more, de- you know, deeper than that, that we are not, that gay men are, are too privileged to, to sort of uh, have this position of queerness, which is sort of seen as this um, sort of radical unprivileged position. Yeah, in society. sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, so to me,
0: and to me that just kind of like, I mean, it's sort of a nonsense point. And I think like, not, sorry, not the point that you're making, but the, the, yeah, the point, you know, that, that's right. the sort of uh, um, the argument, the argument that you're setting up to, to, uh, potentially argue against you know, like I feel like it just sort of points to me to the the absurdity of certain kinds of identity politics that the very idea that you can even kind of name a category like gay man or cis gay man and and be able to say something meaningful about those people as a as a whole group like you know, is sort of nonsense to me. but at the same Absolutely. time, I mean, it does sort of speak to something real, which I think is that, in general, probably it's possible to argue that, go listen to all the caveats there, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, the, all the hedging, it's it's generally sort of possible to argue, I think, that gay men on, the, on average, say, uh, probably have an easier time assimilating into quote-unquote mainstream society than other letters of the alphabet soup Again, perhaps on average, do obviously men in general benefit from patriarchy um, in in one way or another, although you know to, to varying degrees, of course. I, I think if if taken with sort of the idea of sort of fuzzy boundaries of categories and and the extent you can make generalities, I think it does it does kind of get at something real about um, relative privilege. But I think framing it in those absolute terms quickly reveals that it's kind of nonsense.
1: Yeah, and I think there's a, a couple of points worth teasing out. I'll maybe start with one and then we can go into the other. And I think when I was thinking about this question uh, earlier on, I was thinking about this in relation to identity politics, which is something that you sort of brought up earlier. And this sort of this being, to me, a sort of ridiculous conclusion of forms of identity politics and um, and the way I think about that is I was trying to think about what does identity politics mean that it leads to this sorts of situation. And I realized that so when you set up a sort of politics that is based on identity, that is based on oppression occurs because of one's identity or because of of how one expresses their identity it it sort of creates this uh, this situation in which you have an alternate situation where the oppressor has to be a people of a different identity uh so it's not because of their class or material capacities or their position in their power position but it's because of their identity of some form and i think we've seen this quite a lot recently with identity politics and that uh you know all men are the worst or straight people are the worst or uh, you know white people are the worst etc cetera, etc cetera. Uh, and it, and this seems to be a conclusion within a queer circle, in, in a smaller c- category of, of queer communities that sort of is identi- identifying the oppressor and the oppressor is now s- cis gay men as well. And the main problem I have with that is it sort of, for me, it disidentifies the cause of, of oppression and it disidentifies that, um, who you know, where, where oppression comes sure, from. Sure, sort of why- abstracts it yeah it abstracts it um and it and it makes it so that it's about people who have these identities rather than about sort of political situations or systems of power or systems of capitalism etc it's about this identity situation uh but it's but but more than that i think it's also uh, it reduces the capacity for solidarity to the point where you have this smaller and smaller group who are seen as purer, purer and purer. Uh, and we've sort of spoken about this before, so sort of oppression Olympics in which you have this purity test to the point where everybody is just terrible, except for this very, very tiny little group of queers who are who are who are so pure in uh, in, in who they are because they are the most oppressed that they are the ones you know, who, who have the, the most amazing politics, I guess. Uh, and, um, in doing so, you sort of just lose any capacity to have solidarity. You had lose any capacity to build any sort of relevant social movement because you have no base in which to build a movement because everybody is terrible rather than, um, the capac- having a capacity to think of creating solidarity bonds with a working class or with a, you know, with a class of people who can deal with these sorts of powers, of these structural powers, and it's, and and implied with within that for me as well is this sort of complete lack of politics that exists around it. And it, there's there's you know cis gay men are just not queer enough, not just because of of privilege, not because we have inherently terrible politics. For example, uh, you're just not allowed because you're because you've got privilege rather than thinking about what are the politics of people and what are the politics that might create solidarity bonds rather than um, just assuming that everybody is terrible.
0: Sure. But I think, you know, to play devil's advocate here a bit, I think that most people who would be making these sorts of arguments uh, or or saying these sorts of things wouldn't believe them in a really absolutist sense i mean it, it, it i think in a lot of ways they can be taken as markers that sort of like the sort of kill all men stuff for example you know mm. which which i you know actually really love i think i think it's a really like kind of fun and funny uh but still sort of powerful statement about about the oppression of women in in society um of course it's not true across the board but it's it's a a an a useful way to point to things that are true because structural oppression is real. Um, things like uh, gender and um, sexuality and race and uh, you know age and X Y Z thing like are meaningful in society. They they oppression does fall along those lines. I mean, not not a hundred percent, and 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 maybe it's more accurate to say it doesn't not fall along those lines. Um, mm. So so so. You know, maybe think- these sorts of statements are, are are useful ways to point to those ideas.
1: Yeah, so I think that's probably where I disagree because I actually don't think they're useful at all. Um, and I think that um, that you know, I, I you know, I'm, I'm not getting offended by them. I'm not you know, uh, got my male tears because I'm so fragile about it or anything like that. It, you know, it's, they're funny jokes at times, and it, you know, I've, I can laugh about it and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but I'm thinking about it in terms of. Political organising, I don't think it's potentially very useful um, because, for me, it continues to th- uh, place the blame in the wrong in in the wrong places. We can, uh, you know, if we see questions of you know misogyny and sexism and homophobia and racism within a system of capitalism within within sort of power structures, then I think that sort of blaming all men or blaming all straight. People Or blaming all um, gay men or whatever Is not actually a useful strategy And it might, might be a funny way It might be a way to You know, there can be ways to, to, to sort of pull out The existence of that oppression But I don't find it necessarily Very useful as a strategy
0: But yous- like useful to what end though?
1: To, to thinking about how we break down the power structures that create homophobia and sexism and racism, you know, because, and, and this goes back to the point that I was making before, I don't think it is a way that you can build solidarity bonds when you are saying, well, you know, how are we building solidarity bonds at Pride Month when... People are saying, when when you have a situation where you're saying, you know, you're privileged, you know, therefore you are inherently bad in some kind of way, or, you know, you have this inherently problematic politics, so we can't, you know, you you, you really shouldn't be involved anymore. I mean,
0: do you think that the critique of, like, I don't know, like, I'm someone who believes that, you know, while structural problems require structural solutions, there is still a lot of value to critiquing one's own role in those structures and positions like relative, I mean, privilege just becomes such a fucking dead to language word. You know, it's, it's so frustrating. It's hard to use now, Mm, I think because it, it it just feels so, so meaningless. But I think critiquing one's own relative power is useful. You know, it, it it has limits. And I think that a politics that, that says that that well, I guess that says that that is an entirety of a politics in and of itself is, um, deeply conservative. And, and I have, I have deep kind of issues with that. And I think that that does sometimes happen, but at the same time, I think throwing away those sorts of, I mean, in some ways I feel like we're sort of getting away from that initial question, but, you know, I think throwing out, throwing out frameworks for analyzing relative, uh, Oh, God, again, there's just like, let's say relative power um, mm-hmm. completely uh, makes political organizing very difficult, and it makes those sorts of self-critiques quite difficult as well.
1: Yeah, look, I think, um, I, you know, I, I probably wouldn't say throw them out completely, but I think that I might hold a different position to you in that I see that... It has more more often than not become an entire basis of a politics. Of, sure, sure. You know, and so it's it's when it it's when it has gotten to that point, and I think that is an inevitable outcome of identity politics that it gets to that point because uh, you, because power is seen solely through the lens of identity. It means that you you have to you know you you spend all your time critiquing your own identity rather than looking at economic you know material structures that are creating. Creating oppression for people and creating sort of material oppression for people. sure.
0: I mean, obviously, in an ideal world, we would be able to do both. I I'm not sure I could ever like I don't know if this is about choosing between one or the other. Like I like I don't. To me, that's kind of a. But I,
1: I'm not. I don't think I'm saying choosing between sure, one or the sure. Other. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm thinking. I'm saying. Changing our uh, an analytical frame, and then still understanding the potential power dynamics that exist in in political organizing based on that analytical frame, and you would still therefore understand that there are different power dynamics, um, but that that can't be the entire entire basis of your political organizing because then you lead to this situation in which everybody is terrible.
0: Uh sure, sure. At at, at at its kind of logical endpoint.
1: At its logical endpoint, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I think that. For me, you know, and, uh, you know, this is obviously not happening everywhere, but I see the, the discourse that we sort of started off talking about at, at the start of this episode, for me, is a logical endpoint of this sort of very uh, individualized identity politics that sort of, I think, is, you know, every year, particularly, you know, through, through, so- through, the, through the lens of social media in particular, is sort of getting more and further and further to this logical endpoint, uh, which to me is sort of leading to these ridiculous conclusions that make no sense
0: sure i mean from my own observations like i i i feel like i've seen it a little more as a, a bit of a um I've seen some more ebb and flow there, I think, in in the dominance of these sorts of politics. And I think one of the great things about internet culture, particularly social media culture... I don't know. I don't want to go that far. That's maybe one of the less shit things about internet culture, let's put it that way, (laughs) and social media culture, is that you tend to see backlashes against dominant discourses uh, after certain periods of time. And that's a point you can make about culture generally. But I think on Twitter particularly you see this. I remember um, following a, a discussion on Twitter... Maybe a year or so ago where people were talking about, I don't know, some like, you know, quote unquote problematic thing that someone had done and then other people kind of canning that and that person, blah, 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 blah. And people sort of observing that the there was then a backlash to the backlash yep, that never yep. would have happened, say, five years ago when, when it just would have stopped with, with everyone shitting on the person.
1: Yeah, and maybe maybe you're right about that. Maybe you are right about that, uh, and maybe that's a, a sort of a new discourse that is occurring, or not a new discourse, but a sort of a more emphasised discourse a backlash to the backlash.
0: Um, sure, and I'm sure, and I'm sure that that'll you know go uh, round again, and and we'll probably see the same thing. Which is not to kind of like I don't want to be like hyper relativist here and say oh you know nothing means anything because I don't I don't think that's true. But I but I, I just want to problematise that a little bit. I think it it's probably worth going back to that initial question, though, and, and really kind of, like, let's let's talk about us, Simon. Let's yeah, sure, uh, sure. let's really bring it back to that, because, like, I think it w- will be, we've sort of very quickly gotten into much bigger questions here, and I, I think... I'm sorry about it, that. That's my fault. Oh, no, it's, <laughs> come on, it's me and you. It's, like, what we do. It's... Yeah, true. It is, it is. We no don't means. help ourselves, Ben. Um, but I think it's worth going back to that initial question and really, like, taking ourselves and this podcast in a lot of ways as a bit of a a test case or just an example to to critique um, to give us something a bit more concrete to talk about. I mean, when we started this and since I I think we've even talked about this on the podcast at various points over the years, we have been quite explicit about our sort of limited frame of experience. Um, Hmm. It's something that I am, hyper conscious of you know when when we do this you and i had a bit of a discussion before we started recording about the opening to the episode and i uh, and whether or not we should include something uh sort of self-deprecating about the fact that that we're doing an episode about gay men and i was like i feel like we need to say uh i don't know make some joke about about how we're two to cis gay men doing an episode about gay men finally for the first time ever and you were like, no, no, that's I think that's gonna come up in the discussion. And I think it's it's good that we that we didn't do that. But I mean, is there I suppose I see I see value in the way that I think about these things in relation to the podcast, for example, in just kind of keeping those things in mind in the need to kind of be aware of our limited frame of experience, our limited frame of reference. And I think that that's driven things like, uh, bringing in into more interviewees, for example, and really actively mm. seeking people who are, who are not like us and who, who don't have our experiences. And I wonder whether, uh, where does that come from? And I don't have an answer to this straight away, but, you know, where does that come from if not these sorts of self-critiques?
1: I think it's a good question. I mean, I think I think it's something I've thought about in relation to the podcast as well in terms of, you know, our positioning and who we are and why, why we came together in the first place to do this. Uh, and I think that there is value in recognising the the limitations yeah absolutely and recognizing the limitations of who we are and where we come from and and what that means for what we're talking about you know there's a whole range of experiences that we just absolutely don't
0: have and that is true and there are are topics that we have uh stopped ourselves from from doing because we don't have particular
1: experiences absolutely and because we you know uh, and
0: sometimes uh, we've we've really debated that. You, sometimes we've mm-hmm. really gone back and forth on that.
1: Yeah, and and I think that that's that's um, fair. That we should know, and we should be having those debates, and we should be having those discussions, and we should be figuring it out. And and it, and I think that the reality is that obviously nobody has all the experiences in the world, and so yeah, we course. all just experience who we are and the situations we're in, and that is the best we can do. I think that where. Where I don't like it when I when I'm thinking about this stuff is the when talking about your positioning in 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 society or you know the 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 role that you play in society or your identity uh, is I think that we don't want to lead that to the stage where you, it means that you can't provide empathy or solidarity with people in different positions or who are facing different forms of of oppression or different forms of um suffering or anything like that and i think that this is where it the, sort of the identity politics stuff bothers me, and you know so sometimes i you know I want to be able to talk about other topics of things that we haven't experienced because I think it's valuable to be able to 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 think about the experiences of other people and to sure, discuss yes. them and to empathize with them and to think about how their situation is connected to our situation and how it's not connected to our situation and how um, those sorts of oppression you know different sorts of oppression or different forms of Uh, deprivation or whatever might be connected and where they might not be connected and and thinking about those sorts of things, you know, and, and, and I think that that's why when we started this, we sort of started with that queer framework, you know, Labeling it queers because I think that for me a que- you know queer as a politics not only as an identifier but as a politics which is I think where we land with this with the title of our podcast sure sure um, I, I absolutely agree with that is 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 about the capacity to think about that sort of broader perspective rather than thinking in a sort of siloed individualized box where you have to stay in your lane which is a term that I hate so much that everybody has to stay in their lane um, because that means that there's no capacity to be thinking about how things are connected but also there's no capacity to be thinking about how we can provide empathy and solidarity with everybody else in the world so that we can you know see things as being connected
0: sure sure i would uh yeah i would agree with that but i feel like i feel like our this this back and forth is in some ways like creating a space that i quite like you know Mm. where that, that that is yeah, I don't know. I, f- I think it's it's it's. Temp- I, f- I think part of the reason why I'm pushing back as hard as I am on on some of the way that on some of your framing, you know, par- partly I think I think to for the for the sake of discussion, but but also like I I think that that in between space where we are kind of pushing back and forth on this stuff is valuable is is uh, as important to look for as it is to avoid the the sorts of extremes that you're talking about, and yeah. uh, and I think the kinds of extremes that are potentially there from throwing out all of this stuff completely, you know, this is almost to me an exercise in like politics being born of discussion and, 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 and discomfort and, and dissection. And I I think that's, um, I think that's really valuable.
1: Yeah. And I think like an integral part of that is, you know, when we have those discussions, I think we have a fear of, um speaking for other people uh which is something we don't want to do we don't want to act as if we can speak for other people we only speak for ourselves but we can but i think we also can speak with empathy for other people and with solidarity for other people and we don't want to lose that capacity as well so that's where that debate is that's where that discussion is important how can we do this in a way that's not speaking for them for, for, for people who aren't us Um, but that also has a capacity to still engage with those questions because they're important topics and they're important issues that we need to be discussing. So, you know, and that, and I think that you're right that that, that discussion is a valuable discussion to be having. Um, And and maybe it's sort of framing in that way that can sort of avoid some of these pitfalls that we've sort of um, discussed at the start of this topic in which, We, you know, don't say, well, you know, you have this identity, therefore... You are you're you know in in the case of gay men you're inherently privileged and therefore you don't deserve to be in the queer community at all. Um or you know um you know and and that can happen for a whole range of different groups. Uh, so I think yeah that, yeah of course you know framing you know if it, it, it happens
0: of, with one group then it's it's bound to happen with the next group you know
1: yeah yeah and I think that it's also happening you know we've spoken about like gay men I think it's I'm also seeing it happening with lesbian women as well I think in in potentially to a lesser extent and often in it with a different critique but I think that you know Eventually, this, you know, next year, the discourse will be, you know, cis, lesbian women are definitely not part of the queer community. You know, there'll be stuff, you know, it's it's that, that's how, that's how it goes. And so, you know, I think that we have to sort of, the issue is not necessarily gay men. The issue is this sort of identity-based discourse that leads, leads down to this path. And how can we still incorporate some of those elements that you're talking about that I think are important without... You know, uh, going to the extreme end that we, you know, we could potentially be going towards.
0: Sure, and I think you know the 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 answer is discussions like this. I would hope, or or that that plays a role. You know, to 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 be able to to speak openly about this stuff and and critique this stuff, I think is really important. I think another challenge here is that you know, like with any marginalized group, we things that we say, and and I don't, you know, I I wouldn't say this to to. I think it's a consideration rather than something that should dictate an outcome. I think things that we say can be taken from people outside of these groups as representative in ways that we might not always intend. So, you know, anyone can kind of go into a a discussion wanting to critique uh, these sorts of ideas, but then uh, people outside of sort of queer communities might see a given opinion as like, I don't know, representative of all all Mm. queers. And so we don't always have control over... When people like we can sit here and say that we're not speaking for other people, but we don't always have control over when it will be taken uh, when we might be taken to be speaking for for other queers,
1: yeah, and I think that that's I mean I, you know that opens up some broader questions to me about the you know, and we've discussed this on the podcast many 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 times about the nature of a queer community, sure, and sure. the sort of the the lack of um or the assumption of a shared politics. Uh, and, and in turn, the lack of a politics that exists within the queer community or political debates that exist within the queer community, whatever the queer community is, it's kind of assumed that we just all have these sort of same goals somehow. And that there's not actually political tensions that exist within and without and outside the community at the same time. Um, and I think that, I mean, I think this is another good example of that in many ways. I mean, I think, I think one of the biggest problems with some of this discourse is that it almost treats someone like Caitlyn Jenner, for example, who is extremely conservative, uh, but a trans woman, uh, as being more welcome in the queer community than, you know, a gay man who has, you know, lived through the HIV AIDS crisis and might now be a union organiser working to organise strikes in places, you know, and that... The lack of discussion about what people's politics are is within our community, and assuming a shared politics, or and that in turn all gay cis men have a terrible politics, and all non-gay cis, cis men have sort of better politics, is a is a problematic part of this. Sure, and actually sure. recognizing that there is politics within in queer communities that we need to be discussing those politics is a really important way to deal with some of these issues.
0: Yeah, I agree so we we've kind of gone off on in a, in a completely different direction than I expected us to in this discussion. We had a whole list of questions and looking at them now we we've barely touched on any of them, and we might uh return to some of them in in a future episode because I think there's there's a lot of interesting stuff to talk about here particularly in terms of um, oppressions that that gay men do continue to face in society uh but Maybe to to end on something a little more linked to what we've been saying and and one that might be a little more constructive, what would you suggest that gay men thinking about these kinds of things, wanting to engage with with questions of their own privilege, can do about that in relation to their place in queer communities, our place in queer communities?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think this is a really... Interesting question. Uh, it, it's a question that sort of has been raised in my head since the Better Together conference that we went to at the start of the year. Uh, uh, yes, Ben. Where you know you and I went to the the conference had these um, uh, different caucuses. Uh, so there was a, a gay caucus and a lesbian caucus and a bi caucus, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so we went to the to the to the gay caucus ended up being
0: and f- far and away for me at least the most interesting thing that i went to at the conference
1: yeah yeah me too and i think i mean for me what was interesting for about it was that i think the entire caucus sort of spent most of the time talking about this question you know sort of what you know the sort of there was an assumption that there's a there's a privilege uh that gay men have within the queer community and that you know how do we how do we deal with this you know what what can we do as gay men and you know i found that framing a little bit problematic but let's let's go with it sure it's taking Um, a
0: pretty significant it's a pretty significant assumption to make at the start of a discussion
1: yeah exactly um but let's let's go with it for this at this point of time just to sort of and maybe we can we can critique it further later you know later down the track when we sort of in, in a different episode when we discuss some of these questions a bit more i think you know i think that what gay men need to be doing is what everybody needs to be doing and it's to be entering spaces with the capacity for openness with the capacity for empathy and with a desire to have solidarity with other people uh and i think that that is kind of a standard we want to be playing having for everybody um but it, it you know maybe in in situations like this when you recognize that Men do take up a lot of the space and men, you know, men do have a lot of positions of power. Thinking about that as part of your role of when you're thinking about, you know, being empathetic and compassionate and open, etc etc et, cetera, et cetera. Uh, So it's just, I don't know, it's being a decent human being is, <laughs> is like, you know, is a really basic thing. And I think that that is just something we kind of... Forget sometimes we sort of overcomplicate These things when it's actually is like Can we just all be decent human beings when we're engaging with each other And have respectful conversations And respectful discussions about these, these things And that will probably end up Being resulting in a better outcome than spending too much time analysing exactly what we need to do point by point because of our privilege points.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I certainly don't think um, having a set of rules for how to behave is is ever, you know, with some exceptions, but around this kind of stuff is is particularly, uh, particularly helpful. I think at best these sorts of critiques, like the idea of kind of going... As a gay man, what privilege do I have and, and how can I uh, address that? I think at best that framing can be used to, I guess, help you help us to be aware of things that we might not pick up if we were just kind of going into these situations, like, in the way that you're saying, you know. Because I, like, I just 100% agree with you in the sense that I think that like really this is just about you know just but really this is about empathy and and emotional intelligence and compassion and 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 being able to sort of try to put yourself in another person's uh situation and i think for a variety of reasons uh certain kinds of privilege can can make empathy harder but i i think that you know, that's perhaps not a very instructive uh, piece of advice to give, you know, like it's, it's like, I agree with it in, in, in broad terms, but, but maybe at some, you kind of go, well, what do you do with that? And I think about, uh, as you were talking, I was just thinking about the, um, the queer reading group that I've been uh, running in Sydney for the past few months and moderating these discussions amongst quite a diverse kind of group of people. I'm like, given, given the ways that, these sorts of ideas play out in in group conversations uh, it's a are a, a space in which power structures really play out in, in quite quite uh intense ways sometimes i'm kind of like hyper aware as i'm moderating these discussions of things like that you know are men yeah, speaking enough. too much for example um is a particular person dominating the conversation you know in a conversation about we did the last text we did was uh the radical lesbian manifesto and i think the first three speakers we had were men and i was just kind of like hyper aware of that and trying come up with strategies in my head of how to make the women in the room and the non-binary folk in the room feel more comfortable to, to, to speak and, and speak up and, and, and offer their their views and opinions. Yeah, so I guess, so I guess that's just an example from my own experience of how those sorts of you know identity based power structures can be helpful ways for analyzing for coming to compassion and coming to empathy. but yeah I mean maybe that's a kind of best case scenario.
1: Yeah yeah and i think that you know part of understanding sort of where you sit in a group um and it's not even just about identity but just around a whole range of different factors sure. you know yes. can uh you know your social status your you know where you sit uh, in relation to everybody else in the group, how, um, how you
0: know people, you know you, exactly.
1: Yeah, 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 can 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 should be something that you should be thinking about when it's particularly when engaging in something like that, or when engaging at a conference, or you know, when engaging at a talk or whatever like that, or a political discussion. I think that thinking about those things is a valuable thing to do, and just trying to have. Some sort of emotional intelligence around that. And then also working within those spaces to create good facilitation that can allow that, you know, if you're discussing the Lesbian Manifesto, for example, uh, the Rad- Radical Lesbian Manifesto. Radical Lesbian um, Manifesto. Uh, which sounds incredible. Uh, oh my god, I'll uh, we'll have to read it. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that uh, having that discussion, you know, that you can have good facilitation that can recognize that it's, you know, it's it's valuable to have. For example, in that situation, lesbian women speaking about that because that brings in a different a perspective, and maybe you can facilitate a way that they get the first speaking spots or whatever whatever or how or you know or if they're you know they're not getting speaking spots that they sort of you facilitate that in um so I think that that's all very important. I think that the only the only caveat I make to this, and it's not a caveat to anything you've said uh but it's just a caveat to, when thinking about some of this stuff is I think that it's really important to listen to criticism when criticism is leveled against you and to not get defensive about it. Um, But that also doesn't mean that you have to agree with every criticism that is laid against you. Yes. Uh, And so I think a lot of times you see on facebook uh pages you know the worst of the the identity politics facebook pages (laughs) um you see this thing where someone says self-crit you know so you have to go and do your self-criticism now because you've obviously done something wrong uh and there's no leeway in a lot of those spaces to be able to say well actually i don't think i did something wrong or i bring a different perspective to that and our capacity within these groups to have discussions about those sorts of things is also really important, even if we disagree. You know, and disagreement, you know, I'm actually just started reading a book um, from Sarah Shulman called Conflict is not of use. I'm you also
0: know. reading that book Simon. <laughs> there
1: you go. <laughs> I have literally started it <laughs> just the other day. Up. There we go, um, and it's you know and and that says you know that's already saying a lot to me about this sort of space, you know that just because we disagree doesn't mean we're abusing each other, that you know sometimes we might have healthy disagreements, uh, and you don't have to always agree with someone, someone if they say you know it's time for you to do self crit because maybe you come up with a different perspective, and that's okay if you can think about it and engage with it in an emotionally intelligent, you know rational kind of way, um, I think that that is a valuable discussion that we should be having within our community and I've, and and I think it's deeply lacking in in some parts of the queer community um these sorts of discussions where we do disagree and we say actually I bring a different perspective about this and it's not seen as being abusive or oppressive or violent or anything like that
0: I agree If you would like to get in touch or make a comment or ask a question or anything like that, you can do so in a variety of ways.
1: We have an email address and that is queerspodcast at gmail.com or you could follow us on Facebook or Twitter at queerspodcast. We also have our own personal social media pages. Ben is on Twitter at Ben C. Riley, and I'm on Twitter at Simon Copland and on Facebook at Simon Copland Writer.
0: You can also find the podcast on our flashbang website, queerspodcast.com. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, and if you do so, you should rate us and leave a review, which helps people find us. Uh, we are, as always, also uh, very grateful to our podcast network Earbuds. Uh, there is some really great uh, Australian podcast content on there. Content- I just said the word content unironically. I feel gross about it. Some, <laughs> some great Australian podcasts on there that you should uh, very much have a listen to. Uh, they, they, it's fantastic to have a network like that that's supporting australian podcasters
1: and finally why don't you just tell a friend about us maybe you could post about uh the podcast or an episode you like on your facebook or twitter account or just you know tell a friend in your next coffee about this amazing podcast that you're listening to if you like us of course don't tell people if you don't like us uh but you know uh, word of mouth is a really great way uh, for other people to hear about us and if you like us we think it'd be really great if you tell other people that you like us
0: if you don't have any friends, maybe just yell it at a neighbor.
1: That's a good idea. Yep. Like, yeah, put
0: maybe write it on a piece of paper and turn it into a paper plane. Kind of throw the paper plane at them. Maybe no, don't do that. That might get them offside. Uh, anyway, it doesn't of have to be a Creative ways to tell yep. other people about our podcast is what Indeed. we're saying. Uh, well, <laughs> with with that brief uh, brainstorm, thank you as always for listening, and we will be back in a couple of weeks with a new episode.
1: See you then. Earbuds, Melbourne's podcast network
0: Earbudsnetwork.com